Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. And Tim. And before we get started, I really quickly want to shout out a new subscriber, Jack. Thank you for joining us over at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash have you seen this? Thank you. Uh, I just want to also say, uh, as I said to Jack in the DMs, sorry we made you watch Nothing But Trouble. Um, It is kind of like the smell of burning human flesh. You'll never forget it. So for that, we apologize. If But if you stick with us through Nothing But Trouble, you know that you are already through the worst of it. That's true. Like, nothing like nothing that we cover on the show can ever be as uniquely upsetting as Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, because nothing can really prepare you for Nothing But Trouble. I mean, after you see Nothing But Trouble, like, you'll, just, you'll watch Antichrist and you'll be like, oh, that was fun. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah, it was something good and light, you know, to cleanse the palate. Yeah, like, oh, that was cute. I liked Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe's a couple much better than Chevy Chase and Demi Moore. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, they, that's that's the real horror. I mean, sure, they had problems, but, you know, who doesn't? Right, yeah, they're a real couple, you know? It's a, it's yeah. a real movie, Jen. <laughs> exactly, and um, tonight uh, we are... Or, today or whenever you're watching this, yes. Yeah, well, let me... You could be watching this, see, Jen, the important thing is someone could be watching this during a during totality of a solar eclipse, and it's day and night. It you don't happen. want to pigeonhole them, yeah. Well, if you've ever done that, uh, please write in. That's info at haveyouseen.us. Yeah, they could be watching on, you know, the tidally locked surface of, you know, Venus or something. Or, or maybe... Days, 270 days. Or maybe they went to Jupiter to get more stupider. Well, then they have a place on this show. (laughs) Just like Sean Connery, they went to Jupiter to get more stupider. But uh, speaking of Jupiter... He went to Jupiter to crack some heads, but go ahead. He did. Uh, So relating to Jupiter, Tim, what are Mm -hmm. we talking about today? Well, on this blessed evening... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for this episode, we're talking about uh, 1981's Outland, uh, which I uh, I saw as a kid, and I'm still a fan of it. Um, it is a great sci-fi western in what I think is an unrepresented genre. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dissect this and talk maybe uh, you know some themes about it. Uh, re- as we recite- do, yeah, recite the plot beat for beat. Talk about other stuff that relates to it. Because we know a... what the audience wants, is right. that they just want a rote recounting of the plot. Yeah, we're going to talk about another movie that ripped it off 30 years prior called High Noon. <sighs> yeah, that piece of shit Fred Zinneman. Why don't yeah. they sue his ass? What, it, what does he know? Did he ever win in any awards? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, at the time, you know, it was called, uh, you know, High Moon, B 
because it's in outer space and it's kind of like high noon. High I noon. I guess Io is pretty high up there. It is. It's really. You need a very long ladder to reach Io, or ten, as some people call it. <laughs> That's why it takes seventy days to get from Io to uh, the the mining facility because it's uh, it's a long ladder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus just... Christ. What were you saying about all the dad jokes we tell on the show? We are already way off track. Um, yeah, so uh, Outland, uh, Space Western, like High Noon. High Noon was about, uh, uh, who was it? Gary Cooper? Gary Cooper. Yes. Uh, he, he, uh, he's, the, he's the sheriff of a small town. He cleaned up that town. He, you know, that was a place where before, you know, proper ladies couldn't walk the street alone. He cleaned it up. He sent some bad guys to to jail, and it's five years later, and those bad guys are getting out, and they're they're coming to collect their due. They're coming to get revenge on Sheriff uh, Gary Cooper, and you know he's like, well, you know I I'm retiring and I'm getting married to a Quaker, uh, and uh, I'm I'm hanging up my spurs. I'm putting away my six guns, and then you know they're like, oh these guys are gonna come kill you, and he's like, well maybe I'll do it later today. But everyone's like, well, don't like just just leave. Like you don't have to fight him. Like your your job is done. Just go. And he's like, and and so no one wants to help him, because there because that is the same theme there as you get in Outland, which is why why stick your neck out? You know, yes. it's yeah, it's a lot easier to just you know keep your head down, collect a paycheck. Why you know? Why do you want to get in trouble? Why do you want to um, risk your neck for, for what principles? And that's kind of the um, that that is the 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 core of the the Western genre. I feel, or has been you know, has been has been explained to me is that you know the Western and forgive me, listener, if I've already covered this two or three times in previous episodes, is that you know the Western is a um, is a situation where, you know, there's you know, there's no infrastructure, there's no law, there's no uh, there's no one to rely on when your back is you know up against the wall. It is you know all that you bring with you are you know your your morals and you know your your standards and you have to fight for them. So whether it's whether it's you know in the wild west, you know whether it's in space, just the notion of you know you are kind of out there on your own and whatever whatever beliefs you hold whatever principles you have you're going to have to fight for them and it's going to be an uphill battle cuz no one is going no one's coming to to back you up no one's going to come to save you yeah because i think in the western it isn't um it often isn't that there there is no law it's just that it's a very uh it's a very crudely dispensed kind of justice when there is a framework for justice um, yeah, it's sort of up to the individual to enforce this. Yeah, and I think in the 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 early westerns, there was generally a more kind of like black and white morality of you know the white hat versus the black hat, and you know the good sheriff comes in to clean up the town, you know, much like Gary Cooper in High Noon, mm-hmm. um, and all the bad guys are put in jail. Everybody's happy, but um, as media got a little more sophisticated, you would see these explorations of the genre in which things were a little bit more gray and that seems to be what high noon is really um uh maybe they're kind of you know ahead of the curve in that black hat versus white hat notion because it isn't just 
it 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 does introduce the idea of like hey let's all do the right thing and everyone's kind of like why don't you do the right thing yeah and the reason for that is because it was uh written by carl foreman as a direct response to blacklisting because he himself was blacklisted and i think that that you know the mccarthy era was a time when you really found out like who was who had your back when the chips were down and you know a lot of people were like you know it's easier for me to play along and you know keep my job keep my social status whatever than to as tim put it stick my neck out um anyone who uh, people who had principles and made a stand against uh, McCarthy or, you know, the House and American Activities Committee, uh, they were punished very severely. Yeah, um, you, could, you could lose everything. And for what? For, you know, for your principles, for, yeah. you know, being someone's friend. And it is a thing where it's you kind of got to ask yourself, what am I willing to put on the line? Yeah. And. Outland does take its inspiration from High Noon, and uh, Peter Hyams, the writer and director, explicitly said, I wanted to do a space western. And so he took a little bit of High Noon. He didn't copy it wholesale, but he took inspiration from it and uh, put it on a a moon of Jupiter. Um, It doesn't deal with as many heavy themes as High Noon does, I mean, as we we all know, like that earlier movie is considered one of the you know towering classics of American filmmaking, um, and mm-hmm. it is revisiting it as I did uh, when we were preparing for this episode. I was really struck by how just how how good the writing is and how it really doesn't spoon feed anything to the audience. It throws all these very dense interconnected relationships at you very quickly and you have to you know pay attention but it pays off because it makes the themes that much more resonant and that's not a slam against outland because uh outland is actually like a really solid sci-fi western very enjoyable and it still has a little bit of a um how would you put it, Tim? Um, kind of an anti anti authority, anti capitalist sort of theme. Even though the even though the lead is a cop, um, right. he's one yeah. of the good ones, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and that does figure into the movie as well. But it does have a lot of that late seventies, early eighties cynicism about you know uh, one one man going up against a corrupt system. Like you know, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about like one good cop, I mean, you get that in like I don't know the Dirty Harry movies, for example. Right. But yeah, it is, you know, one person trying to like do right within a corrupt system. And, you know, partly the reason that we're doing this episode on Outland is because I feel, you know, it we kind of... We fucked it up the first time? <laughs> no. Uh, it's because I I feel like it doesn't get enough recognition for what it is. Um, I would have liked to have seen more uh, sci-fi westerns uh, in in this mold. Um, as as a brief uh, side note, I want to say that partly I think the reason that um, Outland doesn't get more recognition is, uh, well... It's a Peter Hyams movie? Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, what what I should really say is uh, we, we need to talk about the alien in the room. <laughs> alien casts a long shadow. So, yeah. like, yeah, just in, you know, in its... Um, 
and, and you know in the alien quadrilogy you know alien versus predator like all the that's you not know, a word tim i know uh in all the like sort of expanded universe like if you think you know people uh isolated against you know a a corrupt uh government or you know corporation in you know in outer space you're gonna think alien and this does have a lot of the the earmarks earmarks uh it it does have a lot of the same motifs as alien does like the title is is very alien-esque um and jerry goldsmith is doing the soundtrack oh yeah that's right um you've got your um you could have Wayland yutani or you can have Khan Amalgamate. Yeah, yeah, same same antagonist here, sort of, you know, man against nature. Yeah. yeah. Um same production company as Blade Runner. I really like, you know, the production design of Blade Runner who doesn't if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you do too. Yes, and that was uh the Lad Company, which yeah. um the 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 production company which started out pretty strong with um I think Alan Ladd Jr. and some uh, a couple of other executives who'd previously been at Fox and uh, broken off to form their own company started out strong in the early 80s because they gave us uh, Chariots of Fire, Outland, Blade Runner, as Tim mentioned, uh, Body Heat. Uh, that's a good one. And The Right Stuff. I think they... They did really well with Police Academy, but then they took a bath on kind of more prestigious pictures like Right Stuff and um, the American cut of Once Upon a Time in America. Um, so they didn't really do anything uh, for about 10 years until they produced the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> well. For 1995. And then they, they gave us... Uh, Braveheart and uh, The Phantom and a very Brady sequel and then for all intents and purposes they shut down like 10 years later so they're like you know we've made two more Brady movies I've what else can we there accomplish? no more worlds to conquer yeah yes. exactly so shouts out Lad Company you um I'll always remember that logo from the beginning of Blade Runner very distinctive yeah, it's yeah that logo is dope uh it is nature but you know it is as projected through a CRT it's you know it's nature and technology it's a a simulacrum as i'm fond of saying (laughs) wow like remember tube tvs heck yeah this is a tvs yeah this is this is a tube tv kind of science fiction movie oh for sure yeah and (laughs) yeah and uh, i do love you so much of the production design on it and it does share a lot of the elements with alien mm -hmm. um like it, you know, the same like kind of tube TV aesthetic, you know, low key lighting, uh, lived same in. kind of, yeah, lived in, uh, you know, kind of industrial design, mm-hmm. um, aesthetic, like not a lot of, uh, not, not a lot of, um, uh, I guess effort put into like humanizing these conditions mm-hmm. is it's very, you know, uh, jury rigged. Yes. It's, it's sort of cold and indifferent. It's like in the beginning when it's, um, you know, uh, O'Neill, you know, Sean Connery's character and his wife and his son hanging out. And it's just like, you know, all like the bare metal and like pipes and like reinforcement, you know, beams and, uh, you know, like extra like, you know, alert panels and TVs and stuff. It, it is a very um, uh, inhospitable environment. It, it's it's one that is not, you know, it, it isn't like a comfortable, welcoming place. No. Yeah. 
Uh, one other thing too that I like, just you know, since we're we're rattling off uh, things, not just the like production design, but also uh, costuming. Uh, shares a lot of you know DNA with Alien, like a lot of the um, like minor details, like company logos, like the uh, you know Peter Boyle, you know Shep- Shepard, the antagonist in this, like he's got his company hat with the company logo, and he's got a uniform, and they got patches, like all this great little world building minutia that I I really respond to because it just is such a um, a distinctive, well realized in depth you know, world that they're creating here. And it is, um, in, in fitting with the, with the appeal, I, I feel of a space Western, it is a blue collar world. It isn't, mm-hmm. you know, sci, it isn't sci fantasy, isn't, you know, high minded abstract stuff. It is about regular people in the science, science fiction context. And, um, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's one of the interesting things about, you know this movie as as a, a sci-fi western is that um is that even despite changing the context you know we're still dealing with relevant you know human issues the idea being that even in the far future like humanity never changes like people are still going to be like greedy and selfish maybe neglectful um you know trying to like cut corners you know, just just you know, not not really being their their best selves. So it's it's a nice way of reforming those same, um, the same themes that you might get in a western, but in a new and exciting context, where human life is cheap. Yes, not just you know when you're you know Chinese working on the railroad. Yeah, and it and it does make the movie stand out a little bit from. Um, you know, it could have been like a really rote kind of reskinning of of Alien, mm-hmm. but its anti-capitalist themes make it a little more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a cynical movie, um, and it does deal with uh, different. Um, it deals with characters have a who have different uh, conflicting forms of power. And I think that that's what adds real weight to to the story in this, mm-hmm. um, because we are dealing with like the I would say the three central characters. There's you know O'Neill who you know represents the law. He's a federal marshal. There's you know Shepard who represents corporate power, and then um, there is uh, uh, what is her name? Doctor Lazarus. Yeah, Doctor Lazarus. Um, um, there's always the a character, name? Frances Sternhagen. Frances Sternhagen. I knew I was going to mess that up. She's great. Um, yeah, yeah. And she she's kind of like, she isn't really beholden anyone because she, you know, <laughs> is the top of, you know, maybe three people. But she has her own um, sort of sphere of influence. And it is each one of these people maneuvering to use their power to achieve their, their own ends. Well, and I think that kind of uh, a theme of a lot of Westerns is this idea of, uh, you know, this is a lawless place. Everyone's out for themselves. And so you get a lot of um, very gray characters who will 
not necessarily going to do the right thing. They're going to they're going to do what's in their own best interest. They're going to do what they can of, get away with. Yeah, and part of what um, part of what adds interest to the story is the protagonist kind of winning over um, these gray characters to their side. You know, someone who would who you know would not would normally just look out for themselves is suddenly swayed by the strong moral stance of the protagonist to actually help or, you know, care about someone besides themselves. Because, you know, Dr. Lazarus is extremely jaded um, right. at this point. Just And she's not a pleasant person. She's a great character. Yeah. Um, like, and... Uh, yeah, it's, like they're multi-dimensional characters. Like she isn't just a doctor. She's kind of a she's a crabby doctor. So she's she a bones just type of her, doctor. Yeah, she isn't just defined by her job, but she has her own angle to it. Yeah, and um, she really she really butts heads with O'Neill at the beginning of the show. He even threatens to kick her oh, arse all over the room. That is, yeah, that is a great exchange because that that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about about like the differences of like what sort of power and influence each of them have. By the way, that was just uh, Sean Connery improvising. Yeah, he didn't even know the cameras were rolling. <laughs> He's like, I just like to beat women. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, some of them ask for it. What can you do? Uh, so, yeah, like, the the notion about, you know, each of them having, like, a different sort of power structure, I think, really is at the core of the movie because, you know, O'Neill, like, he he has you know his underlings who like answer to him because he's you know the man in charge but like if they don't support him it all kind of starts to unravel and that's kind of the threat to you know to o'neill and to you know just the the whole notion of a federal marshal and you can even see that you know if you go back to like you know if you go as far back as oh i don't know the 6th of january (laughs) when you're like yeah we have all these rules in place but if no one bothers to enforce them you know what what is the point of having this whole structure of you know law enforcement you know if no one's going to play by these rules and in fact if some if some agents of the state are perhaps perhaps have other ends that they are serving right there you go yeah, yeah. so and there's there's some of that in here too because like i mentioned you know o'neill you know, takes charge and already like he's he's butting heads with everyone as he should be, because he is at least cognizant of his own authority. Like, he he accepts and he embraces his authority as a federal marshal. And that, you know, already creates problems because in the sort of introductory meeting where it is, you know, him and, you know, Dr. Lazarus and, you know, her staff and uh, Shepard and all of his, you know, corporate staff, uh, you know, Shepard lays out, it's like, we've been... You know, we've been breaking productivity records, you know, for months. Like, everyone loves us. We're doing great. The guys work hard. They play, they play hard. hard. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> maybe that means, you know, like he's like, give him a little bit of leeway. Like Yeah, maybe you know, maybe a hooker gets stabbed once in a while. We don't yeah. hold it against the guys. Yeah, you know, just kind of sweep that under under the rug. The ends justify the means. Don't rock the boat. You know, and, and he's saying, you know, he's telling, he's basically telling O'Neill, the new guy, you know, the new guy who hasn't yet established any sort of authority, right? He's telling the new guy, you know, don't. he's telling him how to do his job. He's saying, don't rock the boat. Mm-hmm. But O'Neill doesn't take that. He's like, okay, thanks <clears throat> for the advice. 
He's, he's like, I'm the only person who gets to beat women around here, mister. Right, yeah. And he's saying, you know, basically, I don't work for you, which is a break from the previous um, uh, head or whatever, the, the previous marshal, and even um, the, the guy directly under him, um, Montone. Yeah. Because that, that's uncovered, too, that the other guy, like, he's, he's on the take. Like, he's kind of rolled over to Shepard. Because Shepard's running the show here, but O'Neill is like, well, you know, I don't, I don't work for you. I, you know, I work as a federal marshal and I'm here to do my job. You know, like, I don't, you don't tell me what to do. And yeah. And, and if people get hurt, I am going to find the reason for it and find the perpetrator and make sure they're punished. But because this Shepard and this entire mining operation like serves capital, it's they're more of a mentality of like, hey, you know, omelets, eggs, you know the saying. Like right, yeah. don't like don't fuck up our our high productivity by digging into why our productivity is so high. Yeah. So Yeah, so it's so he has his own job and that already is in conflict with what the sort of entrenched power structure wants out of this place. And to to further uh support um you know o'neill asserting himself in this situation that's you know the the next scene where he goes to you know, meet dr lazarus and you know she you know opens with you know whatever it is you know take two aspirin and call me in the morning that's a doctor joke and then you know they they have She's their back and cunt. I love yeah her. she is <laughs> and i can totally picture her situation being that you know she's overworked and understaffed you know so that Whenever things start to go awry, like what's what's happening, and it was was shown in the beginning of the movie, is that a you know one of the miners, yeah, I mean it's a space western, of course it's about mining. Um, they one of the miners, you know, he has a psychotic break. You know, he thinks there are spiders in his spacesuit. So what does he do? He takes off his helmet. So um, that's and as it turns out, that was uh, John Ratzenberger, Cliff Clavin from Cheers. Yeah, it is a little known fact that mm-hmm. is John Ratzenberger. Uh, so. So yeah, that's that's one guy dies, but um, you know Dr. Lazarus, who is already you know overworked and maybe not great at her job either, because she's been stuck on you know this mining facility. You know she isn't you know head of uh, you know surgery at Johns Hopkins or anything. Um, she and she even does make a lot of self-deprecating remarks about you know her being an old wreck, you know trying to use the sophisticated equipment. Like she's got enough to worry about. That when, you know, some, you know, miner dies for whatever reason, it's like, ah, you know, what can you do? You know, put him on the slab, you know, uh, chuck him into outer space, put him on the next shuttle out. He's the company's problem. You know, he works for the company. They resolve it. Just, you know, she's just kind of rubber stamping it because, you know, she's got enough to worry about as it is. So when O'Neill comes in and starts putting demands on her, he's like, you know, I want this report of, you know, how many people have died and why. And I want that report tomorrow, or you know, I might just have to kick your nasty ass around this this room. That's a Marshall joke. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, he is not giving an inch to anyone. He is asserting himself in this new situation, being like, I'm not going to be pushed around. So it is, you know, kind of the same Gary Cooper character from High Noon, being like, I have a job to do, and you aren't going to get in my way of me doing it. Yes, men are men, even on a moon of Jupiter. Right. Yes. 
So it's it's weird to remember like the time when Sean Connery was a huge star because I remember when Sean Connery was a huge star, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know his um, he gradually like stepped away from stardom like in the you know mid to late nineties, and it's just it's it, I don't know but, like it's just weird to revisit the time when he was like one of the biggest stars on the planet because he'd been James Bond and everything. And yeah. I mean, you know, in spite of him, you know, a problematic fave, I'll say, but you know, he is, um, well, he just is don't magnetic mouth off on the to screen. Him. So, huh? Yeah, just don't mouth off to him. What do you want? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's and very just, progressive and, and you had better support an independent Scotland. All right. I mean, that, that just makes sense. Why or not? He'll, or he'll kick your nasty arse all over this room. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. It just makes I mean, me it's think very of, direct. It, yeah, and you know, it. I guess there's a little bit of nostalgia for me because I've watched so many Sean Connery movies with my dad. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's another thing that I like about this movie. Yeah, that's well, that's that's worth uh, liking. Yeah, I support it. Ah, memories. But anyway, yeah. we were talking about uh, we were speaking about s- structures of power and uh, capitalism yeah. and. Yeah. And maybe that's um, why I see this one so closely intertwined with Alien, because, I mean, there's also, you know, kind of a power struggle aboard the Nostromo. I mean, it isn't played out to the extent it is here, because here it is more, you know, it is one individual against, you know, this corrupt uh, system. Whereas an Alien, you know, you have, you know, you have, you know, Dallas the captain, but, you know, when he's off the ship, then, you know, you have... a. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it is, you know, Petty Officer Ripley who is in charge, and then there's Science Officer Ash. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, you know, the uh, away team comes back to the ship, you know, including the captain, it's like, well, he's not captain of the ship. That is, you know, Ripley. And she says, no, you can't come on the ship. But, you know, Ash is chief science officer. You know, he he's, you know, sidesteps quarantine rules to allow them back on board so there that is a similar situation of being like you know who here in space is going to have my back you know who can i marshal to support you know (laughs) to to support you know my um my agenda and and you know dallas you know he he in his sympathy is you know trying to you know, get Kane medical help so you can understand his perspective. But, you know, Ripley's being very, you know, assertive and, and by the book being like, we can't allow that. This is what the rules are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Ash, of course, is a turncoat. Sorry, spoilers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, he kind of sidesteps that authority. And that's kind of, I, I appreciate that there are interpersonal conflicts dealing with basically trying to trying to get people to come to your support in an environment where you know support is not necessarily guaranteed yeah and that is that is so important to to high noon because you have this imminent threat coming Mm -hmm. to town like these guys are coming on the train like today Right. And they're going to fuck some shit up. Everybody's afraid of these men. 
but yeah. it's easier to run than to stand up against these guys. And what makes the the what makes that conflict like the more powerful is that it's it's understandable. I mean, like yes, like it's easy if you've watched a lot of westerns to say like, oh well, like I would totally get the heck out of dodge. Yeah, like you'd be like, oh, I'd be like Gary Cooper, and I would totally like stand up for myself or whatever. But uh, that's really difficult to do in real life when you're actual your life is on the line like you're um and what it is normally these days for uh most of us in america living like in i mean in relative safety like usually what is at stake is kind of like social capital like our Mm -hmm. social connections like our professional connections and we as social animals, like those are very important. We don't want to we don't want to endanger those at all. Right. So when Gary Cooper like unretires in high mm. noon and says, I need to get a posse together, people are like, are you crazy? Like Yeah, what? yeah, uh, pretend I'm not home. Yeah. And you know, that of course there is that that is directly inspired by the blacklist when a lot of people folded and, you know, named names or whatever Ely Kazan yeah. um instead of protecting uh their friends yeah I mean the lesson yeah the lesson here is that you know in solidarity you're stronger you know form yes. a union um, and funny thing about really quick side note about high noon because I think it's important um Gary Cooper wasn't actually the first choice for high noon they had initially wanted to get John Wayne because you know, as the love the interest as the the lead oh i thought as there uh, instead of um wait you thought gary cooper was gonna marry john wayne yeah <laughs> yeah it was very you know it turned out it was a little too spicy for the time okay um, yeah it's, it's it's about two different things at that point <laughs> um yeah but uh for the part of oh man like now i now i really want to see gay high noon <laughs> Somebody needs to make that. But no, for the part of Marshall Will Kane, they wanted John Wayne because he was the biggest Western star. Um, that follows. Now, John Wayne thought the script was disgusting. Like, he did not want to do it. He thought it was comedy crap. Oh, basically. because of all the throwing up and all the, the poop and fart jokes in it. <laughs> I don't know. I think they've aged like a fine wine. <laughs> He was like, I will not do the scene where I'm having violent diarrhea on the toilet. I just won't do it. <laughs> um, but Gary Cooper was like, yeah, I'll do it. No, but um, mm-hmm. but of course, you know, John Wayne being famously one of the most reactionary stars in Hollywood. Um, Until he got Clint Eastwood. Well, <laughs> Clint's, Clint is like a hair more reasonable than than uh, John Wayne. I don't think that I don't think that Clint Eastwood has ever said like and correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't think Clint Eastwood has ever said that he thinks black people are inferior, as okay, well, yep. John Wayne did in that uh, infamous uh, Playboy interview. But right. the point I was getting to is that, in spite of Gary Cooper also being a Hollywood Republican and generally supporting more conservative causes, and he was actually, I think, a friendly witness uh, before the uh, House American Activities Committee, he was like, yeah, I'll do it because and I think that the reason for that is because he had been in a little bit of a career decline at that time. He was about uh, 50 years old. 
Um, he hadn't had a hit in a while. And as it turned out, it was the right choice because this movie was uh, not just a, a success with audiences, but also critically acclaimed. Yeah, also, Gary Cooper, huge commie. <laughs> so it was, it was just the right script. He wasn't a huge commie, but he did have a huge penis. <laughs> Well, that's how they that uh, is, let you into the Communist Party. That is well-known. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> big dick heroes only in, in the Communist Party. Right. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Tim and I are both communists. Right, because Jen's got a huge cock. We have huge penises. Right. And we fuck good. Right. <laughs> just like uh, Gary Cooper. But anyway. Um, yeah, so, that is an important subplot. It's just like that extended, prolonged, just exhausting X-rated scene. Well, that's why... Um, Between that's why him Chris... and Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Young Lloyd Bridges is in this. That's neat yeah. to see. That's that's exactly right. Um, and it's funny because you can see, uh, like, you see both of his sons in his face at different times. Like, you, you'll see either Jeff or, or Bo, depending on how you're looking at him. But yeah. um, that's why, I was going to say, that's why Grace Kelly was so pissed off is because she wanted to get fucked with that cooper law absolutely railed yeah and she's like i'm getting on this fucking train if you don't fuck me right now and he's yeah. like no sorry i gotta i gotta do what's right and she's like fuck you i'm getting railed one way or another whether it's by a locomotive or by you um i, I have heard that grace kelly was um the town bicycle of hollywood <laughs> for a while that's a that's a luxurious bike i'd ride that <laughs> who wouldn't right um yeah, and she wanted to go method. That's why she, you know, married him in the movie. It's like, give me my wedding night. Uh, so we were talking about Outland. <laughs> Listeners who fast-forwarded five minutes. Oh, you know, they missed all these good poop and dick jokes. Like, come on, people. Oh, I well, know. Well, at least you're not we're... listening to it on four times speed the way Tim does. I got shit to do. He's a big man. Chipmunks fan. I got places to go. I the, the, the less time I spend listening to Jen talk, the better. <laughs> Boy, did you... But, did you pick the wrong side hustle? <laughs> Oof. Uh, so, uh, so it's it's easy to turn a blind eye. It is hard to do the right thing. It is but O'Neill, right yes. Thing. But O'Neill is a hard man. He is the right man for the job. So, the unfortunate thing is that doesn't quite mesh with his home life. Uh, his wife uh, packs up and takes their kid. It's like we're going to Earth. This detail sucks you're going to get yourself killed by fighting forces much larger than yourself and it is a nice little bit of character detail because um and i like this in i like this in movies where this amount of care has been taken with the characters mm -hmm. where they're able to kind of give you a picture of a character or a relationship through like what's happening on the screen and it's like you you can just draw the conclusions from how this plays out because you know they've only been on io for a short time he's telling her look i know it's a shit detail but you know mm -hmm. try to get along but you know in that scene that something is is not quite right and you know because he's a man he doesn't pick up on it no, i'm kidding but right. um he he doesn't realize that she is she's gonna up and leave him Right. And, you know, as you're watching it, you're like, oh, boy, like, you know, something something not good is going to happen. And it yeah, gives so you... same same story is with High Noon. Yeah, it it kind of um, and in Outland, it kind of gives you a picture of that entire 
relationship where you can tell that this is a woman who has put up with shit detail after shit detail and she's trying to raise a kid and he as she tells him in the video call that she recorded you know he's never even seen the earth i want him to breathe real air basically so yeah and she kind of represents that like it's a lot easier to run away from this like you're just making your life harder by trying to do the right thing over and over again because you can tell like in o'neill's career and i think that they address that when he's talking to um uh montone that like he's been like busted down to like more and more remote uh assignments yes that uh, thank you for thank you for picking up the point that i dropped him because i didn't right. drop that point <laughs> yeah yeah because because he's just like you know you keep you you know you got a big mouth you, you kind of keep doing the right thing in fact you know jokes aside he might be of the not 40 percent of cops you know who don't be who beat their wives he's the odd man out sad really <laughs> yeah i know he's cast against type <laughs> And you already see that he's out of sync with the rest of the force because already, you know, they're kind of, you know, complacent. They're, you know, they're a, a, um, uh, what you, you, listener, you know, the term regulatory capture. They're sort of a, you know, a, a puppet law enforcement arm of the, you know, of the con amalgam, you know, business that's, that's running this, uh, this mining franchise. So, I'll, and we see that when, um, you know, like Jen mentioned, you know, the uh, the miners, when they cut loose, they really cut loose. And, you know, there's one guy who's on too much um, of basically space meth. Uh, and, you know, he, he cuts up a hooker and, you know, O'Neill comes in to defuse the situation. You know, de-escalation, not, you know, cop's strong point. No. I got to say. Uh, but, you know, he explains it to the guys like, you know, I'm going to come in. I'm not going to, you know, bust down the door. I'm not going to shoot you. You know, we're just going to get you out of there. And we're going to have a little talk and calm you down. And he's doing this whole thing. Meanwhile, he's got Montone in the air vent as like his backup, you know, in case things go sideways. And, you know, O'Neill is talking the guy down. You know, he's talking down from from 10 to one to, you know, force the door open and then, you know, slowly open it and, and deal with the guy. He gets down to one Montone drops out of the ceiling and shotguns the guy before O'Neill can even do anything. And that's how they deal with problems. Yeah. Um, and the way that, the way that, um, Montone is like, well, you know, I turned and I saw the knife and it's like, Oh God, it's, what the cops it's, fucking it's, do it's a little know? too real yeah it's that it's that like ah shit i don't want to have to I, a i don't want to have to put myself in danger for some random minor who i don't give a shit about and like yeah. b like i don't want to have to fill out the paperwork and you know c you know this could you know lead to him talking you know that could yeah. lead to an investigation like just shoot the guy there'll be more minors on you know next week's shuttle coming in Yep. Yeah, and because you know, in the same way that like you know, Montone isn't feeling it, Shepard isn't feeling it. They don't give a shit how many miners die. Like they see the results, but I mean, they aren't you know writing letters home to any of these assholes. Yeah, and, and it's any really their families. like um, it's really like the thing that um, and didn't they evoke this in Fight Club? Like the um, the issue with the Ford Pinto. Um, yeah, yeah, he applies the equation. 
Yeah, where it's a... Can you explicate that a little bit? Because I'm bad at explaining that kind of thing. Well, you know, it's, you know, A times B times C equals X. And if it's... If the amount of court settlements is less than the cost of the recall, they don't do one. Yes. And that is an inevitable result of capitalist systems because again you know much as it is on io in outland human life is very cheap right yeah i mean just you know go to any fast food restaurant now you know we're in the we're in the second year of a pandemic and they're still like hey you know you need your 725 an hour go flip some burgers yeah and um the 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 health and safety of the workers is never really i mean like they'll pay lip service to it but it's like they don't really give a shit and that's very clear in in outland like o'neill's approach is um one where he doesn't want to get anybody killed like he could just blow the guy away but he's like you know maybe i can diffuse the situation yeah let's find out what is causing the problem rather than just like finding a way to resolve it that's exactly right at gunpoint and the the um the system of policing on io is just basically set up in that kind of um oh you know it's uh their hammers and everyone else is a nail yeah it's it's reactionary it's like look we've got and they they do even address that it's like you know we've got a good system here as long as everyone knows their place in it yeah and the cost of the of a little bit of mayhem is written into the equation it's like yeah yeah, and you know much like on earth and like earth today now in real life sex workers are disposable like right yeah who cares if he stabs a fucking hooker like they're cheap we'll get more yeah, we, no one's going to miss, like, one hooker on, like, a Jovian moon somewhere. Because yeah. already, like, the people who are out here working are really low on the social status, you know, totem pole. So, you know, it's like no one's going to, you know, shed a tear for someone that, you know, they don't even know about or someone they've never heard of. Why mm-hmm. would they? Yep. So, and and that really gets to the crux of O'Neill's motivation because, you know, to, to take a step back and, and look at the actions and the risk that he's putting up for doing this, it's like, wh- like, why? Like, why are you making life so difficult for yourself? When everyone else is like, look, we're part of a system. You know, Montan gets a kickback by kind of looking the other way. You know, Lazarus, like, she is untroubled, you know, in her work. She just, you know, sends the corpses on to the company. Um, you know, Shepard, he, he makes a pile of money. Um, so it's like, why is this so important to you? And, you know, O'Neill, you know, spells it out where he's like, you know, if this is the way it's supposed to be, he's just saying like, I don't want to be a part of the system. You know, he's saying, you know, I'm, I have what I think is the right way of doing things. And this company, you know, this franchise has its way that it thinks is the right way of doing things. And I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to make things work the way that I think is the right way or I'm going to die trying because he doesn't want to be a part of that system. It is easy for, you know, Montone to roll over. It's easy for his wife to like run away. But if he, as a federal marshal, as someone who is sworn to uphold the law, if there's no law for him to uphold, what is he? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so really he's, he kind of is facing an intractable conflict here because he's saying like, Either I continue to uphold the law as I understand it, 
or I'm nothing. Like my career is basically a joke. Like I know the law means nothing. I don't mean anything. You know, may as, he may as well be dead, you know, if that's the case. So he's going to so he's putting his life up for his principles. Pretty much. And um am I skipping ahead too much if I talk about how I kind of like the the, like the cynical resolution of the film um well let me see well i mean there are other things that we you know that are important to get through first um because he does um it, and this kind of prefigures what you're talking about because uh o'neill does talk to shepherd you know when he you know through his investigations through you know finding you know different dealers and he does get a tip from Montone about where the drugs are coming in because, you know, Montone knows, but he doesn't, you know, do anything because he's paid off. So he finds the drugs and destroys them, which creates a lot of trouble for Shepard because Shepard needs those drugs to remain productive and those drugs cost money. And, you know, he has people that he has to answer to. But it's funny because it's like if Shepard, uh, sorry, if O'Neill you know, Sean Connery, his character knows all this stuff. Like, why doesn't he just like punch Shepard? Why does he just like beat Shepard? But it's kind of the same, um, the same reason that, uh, Gary Cooper takes for not, um, uh, for, I, for, I forget the antagonist's name, but for not taking the action against, you know, his posse who's kind of been, you know, lurking around the town there. He's like, what am I supposed to arrest them for just like hanging out? I mean, that's, you know, that gets into like what, like racial profiling and, you know, kind of like dodgy police work where it's like these guys look like they're up to no trouble. You know, I'm going to, you know, punish certain people more severely because they seem like a certain type. Like that's not fair under the law. So O'Neill has like his actions about like what he can and can't do. And, you know, he can let Shepard know what he's doing as, you know, law enforcement, but he can't just be, he can't just like, Kick bust him to his office and kick his ass like what is that going to accomplish plus he's not a woman so right yeah i mean he i can see like absolutely you know just if he is a woman yeah you you gotta you gotta understand it's like how do you shut him up well it's just so disrespectful right yeah that's part of it and you know some women are like that it's unfortunate but <laughs> i hope i never meet another one like that these are excerpts from uh, Tim's interview with Barbara Walters. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, because essentially the, I mean, kind of the basic story is that... Um, yeah, so like, it doesn't, he, yeah, like he I can't said, do anything to him. Like, he can't touch it there because it's like, you know, oh, now we'll just have to arrest you for, for killing this corporate guy. Like, you yeah. didn't do it right. And um, did we um, did we elucidate the plot at all did we give like a basic kind of capsule summary beyond like okay like o'neill has arrived on io to take over his marshal he finds some i mean it's very simple like he finds some dirty dealings he finds that the reason productivity has been so high on io is because there are illicit drugs being smuggled in yes which work well to a point again like productivity is up but you know like one out of every i don't know 50 miners will just pop a rivet and go insane right Um, yeah and of course 
O'Neill, being a principled guy, would like to find out why, but standing in his way is uh, Shepard, who, as the, um, what is his job title, exactly? Uh, he's the general manager. Yeah, like the, you know, the general manager of the entire mining operation. He's beholden to the corporation. He needs to keep productivity up, and... You know, right. as and they, we've explained before, like it is not in his best interest to um, care about the the mental health and well being of the miners. So he's not going to cooperate with O'Neill. And right. the high noon part comes in when uh, you know after O'Neill has made a little bit of trouble with his investigation, they're gonna they send some assassins on the show on the shuttle to get him. And it's yeah. like Frank Miller and his gang in High Noon coming into town on the train to kill uh, Marshall Kane. Right. Oh, Frank Miller. So you know he's reactionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is kind of funny. And um, yeah. that uh, the the song, the theme of, of High Noon, they actually evoke the name Frank Miller. Wow. Yeah, and I know I've you know heard that uh, that song, but I think I've only heard it in context of Red Dwarf. Which, you know, is another I, gritty space sci-fi about realistic characters. I think I first learned it from uh, Mystery Science Theater. Probably, Yeah, I could see that. Um, shit, what is that song called? Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling. Yeah. The Ballad of High Noon. Oh. oh okay. It's, it's called High Noon, colon, The Song. <laughs> it's called a High Noon Remix. Um, right. <laughs> But yeah, so it's uh, again, Outland isn't a direct lift of High Noon, but it does it does draw some of those plot elements. Uh, yeah, that's a lot it. of common themes. Yeah, and, and it did occur to me, like watching Outland, because I, I rewatched both to prepare for this episode. I was like, shit, you know, what if the train had arrived early in High Noon? Yeah, that was kind of a, a jump start sort of moment. Yeah, because like... the shuttle gets there a little bit early in, uh, <laughs> in <Yeah>. Outland. <laughs> it's just like, oh shit. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but you know those that, guys had to like you know assemble their guns and stuff so yeah and the way that they're introduced is great too it, there's a little bit of that in um in aliens when um when they uh salvage the narcissus but the way that they're introduced you don't see them directly you see like you know, shadows moving through light like mm-hmm. you're you get this implication of there is some sort of form coming this way and then that's when all the guys you know all the miners you know uh disembark from the shuttle and then you you actually get to see who the who the two guys are that they sent and it's weird because i don't remember it just being two guys i remember being like the dirty dozen or something <laughs> yeah Charles yeah. fucking bronson gets off the shuttle yeah um and credit to peter hyams uh because uh in addition to writing and directing this film he was also the cinematographer and we have a little bit of inside poop on the the director of photography thing as relates Mm -hmm. to this movie but just briefly now i'll say that he is really responsible for a lot of the look of the film um he does use the space very well and it is it it's some very nice examples of lighting you know one of which you mentioned is you know those guys getting off the shuttle and you Mm -hmm. know kind of making them look dangerous and mysterious just by the way that he he yeah just hidden in shadow yeah 
So, you know, props, Peter Hines. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of great other, you know, effects work in that. Um, I, I've already mentioned how much I like the set design and costumes of this. Uh, good use of, of models as well. Yes. Like, I really like that aesthetic. Uh, and the, um, uh, the, the process, the way that they're shooting those, where they're shooting, like, footage and models and, mm-hmm. like, live footage all together. Because there's a really, you know, technically complex shot that is, there is um, there's an inset of, you know, uh, vac-suited miners leaving an elevator onto a gantry, which then forms the backdrop of the foreground action where miners are talking about how they're running short shifts, which is also a great clue into how they're kind of cutting corners right. on this mining operation. Yeah, and um, the effect that the effects that uh, Tim is talking about were um, achieved with a system called IntroVision, which was uh, kind of a modified front projection system. Um, yeah. Now, you know, front projection I think was probably used most famously in um, the original Superman film with Christopher Reeve. That was front projection was how they achieved those flying effects. Um, and Outland was, I think, the first feature to use this IntroVision system. And um, kind of the neat trick with it is that you could composite on the fly in a way. You didn't have to wait to have the film developed to see if you'd actually pulled off your effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you had, I'm not sure if it was through the viewfinder or the monitor, but there was a way that uh, as you were working, you could see how the composite shot would look with the live actors and uh, the, you know, the backdrops um, and the um, the sets. So, and that was used very extensively until I think like the early 90s when, um, you know, obviously digital compositing started to become a thing and it was, it was phased out. But, um, and I know it makes me sound like a fucking boomer every time I say it, but like these, you know, these optical effects, like just give me such joy to behold. <laughs> like, right. it's no, just, allow it. yeah. everything just feels like it has like heft and gravity. It feels lived in the actors can interact with objects instead of like a piece of gaffer tape on a pole yeah tennis george lucas (laughs) right no i mean there's there continues to be a place for models in this stuff and i really just like the overall look of it Mm -hmm. and um i don't know do you want do you want me to do a um the uh the cinematography drama dump here yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it was very interesting what I found out while looking into the production of this film because um, it is a great-looking film. And you're like, oh, well, you know, who was the DP on this? And the credited DP is Stephen Goldblatt, who um, had... It's no slouch. Yeah, he's... he's um, well, you know, he's had a very long career... And he's done... Not as long as Gary Cooper's, am I right? <laughs> I, I, I don't actually know if Stephen Goldblatt... If Stephen Goldblatt is packing, I will look into that and let you guys know. Um, yeah. I did find his... Uh, I did find his email address on this forum. So, you know, I guess I could just write and ask him. Um, yeah, ask him for a dick pic. Go for it. 
it's a it's a mac.com address too which is funny um should modern, we just like, i mean it's not as aol or something should we just fully dox him on the show yeah just, go for like, it if yeah. you have any questions about outland you know right to blah 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 <laughs> um he but yeah so he is the credited dp right he has done uh some really big movies um all the way up to the help very recently um he also worked on lethal weapon one and two um he's also lends some very have you seen this kind of movies one of which we've covered on the show um his first Don't credit guess his first credit was breaking glass uh you know kind of the, the oh yeah british punk film yeah the kind of yeah we kind of give mixed reviews yeah and a couple of other um definite potential topics for have you seen this he worked on the cotton club which i definitely want to cover one of these days and joe versus the volcano i was too young for that i'm like what the hell am i watching i saw that in the theater huh i did not get it yeah me neither um, i mean it's possible you could have been it. older and still not gotten it be like what am i watching yeah, that one might be worth uh, revisiting. If you're a fan of Joe versus the Volcano, give us a shout. Info at haveyouseen.us or, you yeah. know, on our Twitter, HYSTpod on Twitter. Um, so, okay, Stephen Goldblatt, you know, obviously a very accomplished cinematographer. Yeah, nice work on Outland. But as it turns out, um, there is Scuttlebutt that he really didn't have much to do with um the lighting and photographing of oh so he's one of those guys who takes a bribe and looks the other way huh and i found this on a cinematography forum cinematography gossip dot blog or whatever yeah i love i love going into old like message boards and reading like really juicy posts from like 2005 it's 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 so fun i don't know why or like you know if you you look in like google groups or something and you're reading like alt dot mst3k posts yeah from like 1989 um wow that's nerdy jen but um so I found I'm these like wow they really stuck it to those guys in Congress. <laughs> so I found I found this um a message board thread where they were talking about Outland and someone was mentioning how much they liked the cinematography in the film. And there was a post which says in part um I found the Cinefix that covered Outland from 1981 um I'm sure you've seen, you've all seen that magazine on the newsstands. I don't think it exists anymore because how many magazines yeah, that, that exist anymore? That takes me back. Um, it confirms that Hyams did shoot the whole film and Stephen Goldblatt was only ever present on the model unit for which Hyams supervised the photography anyway. Um, and it's like, oh, damn, you know, that's interesting. But mm -hmm. it gets better because Stephen Goldblatt himself logged onto the forum to clarify things. And this is what he says in part. I was idly browsing today in the forum and I saw this post and speculation on my involvement with Peter Hyams on the movie Outland. It was indeed only my second feature and the problem for me was that when I was interviewed by Peter Hyams, he neglected to mention that what he really wanted was a kickabout DP to sit idly by and then be offered as a sacrificial lamb to the lad company when anything went wrong with the new IntraVision process, which was a vital means by which the space station sequences were to be photographed. It was not in my nature then or now to suffer an ignominious role, and I could have quit immediately. 
I realized the true nature of my employment, but for a young DP to leave a film was a career breaker in England at that time. Um, Life imitates art. (laughs) Though I did not enjoy the full glory of being the main eye behind the camera, I learned a great deal both politically and technically and ended the picture having had a positive experience. It was not, however, a happy one, and of all the films I have worked on, it is the only film whose rap party I did not attend. Oof. Um, And he does talk a little bit about the production circumstances he says by the time we were halfway through the picture there were so many stages filled with all kinds of sets models blue screen and gags that between peter hyams and myself we could hardly service the show um which you know if he puts it that way it seems to imply that he did have a little bit of a hand in it you know if they were that like shorthanded i don't know how much of a dictator hyams is but who knows well yeah Um, i mean it it sounds like he's you know his second um, you know, like he says, is kick about, you know, second DP. Yeah. And if, um, you know, as he said, like if anything had fucked up with this, cause they were working with an entirely new process. And if anything happened with it, then they go like, Oh, it was that guy, which, you know, <laughs> yeah, he, he gets to be the fall guy, like the guy with, you know, one feature under his belt. Yeah. So the sort um, of Gorman of the, uh, production and, um, invoke aliens <laughs> and goldblatt does mention that um he did contribute a little bit um there were uh he suggested the use of certain of lasers that had been used at shepperton studios um that they could also use on the set and uh Hyams loved the idea so they used them and he finishes oh, yeah, for the club scenes yeah he finishes on a relatively positive note because he says A career as a cinematographer, or an editor for that matter, is created over many years and many projects, and I would suggest that the good, the bad, and the indifferent must be seen in the context of an entire body of work. Was I happy on Outland? Absolutely not. Did I do my best in the circumstances? I think so. Was I able to use what I learned on my next and many other films? Without doubt. So, yeah, a little bit of O'Neill in that. Well, Insane. I'm sure that, you know, he stuck around, did what he needed to do, and then got the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And, you know, I can kind of understand that. You know, there is a, uh, like he says, there's a political element to it where, you yeah. know, and and the characters in the movie are kind of making similar choices where it's like, how much are you willing to put up with to achieve whatever ends you want? Yeah. And so. um, I don't know. Does that... Uh, does that kind of bring us to the the resolution of the film? Yeah. Um, uh, O'Neill dispatches the two uh, the two mercenaries. There is a um, you know, there is a surprise turn in that you know he he doesn't get you know like in High Noon he doesn't get any support from any of his marshals. The only one who gives him any support is Lazarus because um, I don't know you know yeah it, because it is in it is in human nature to if not do something for someone to help another person who's trying. That's it. Yeah. Like you'll see, like you'll get a lot more help if you're trying to do something yourself than if you just want someone to do something for you, people will balk at that. But like, you know, if you're Neil and you're like, I'm trying to, to do something here and I need help. People usually, people tend to jump at the chance to help someone who's already trying to affect change. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah, in the movie and, or um, in general. Kind of an interesting note about uh, going back to High Noon because um, 
you know, as we mentioned, John Wayne thought it was basically essentially communist propaganda. Mm-hmm. But in the Soviet Union, it was criticized because they thought it it emphasized uh, individualism too much. I guess and you you can't win either way. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because you know it kind of um it it does kind of remind one to realize that there are many lenses through which one can look at a film and mm-hmm. you know there isn't necessarily like one right one but you know there are also like some really stupid ones so you know there it is <laughs> right yeah yeah not all opinions are uh created equal i guess yeah um so yeah so he he dispatches the two of them uh the two mercenaries with lazarus's help and the you know the surprise heel turn is that one of his own deputies like goes after him because he's mm-hmm. like you're making trouble for the rest of us stop it yeah so then he has to you know fight this other guy and finally he makes it through all that and he can confront Shepard and deal with him yep which is what the point you were trying to make I do like the pure cynicism of the ending and at least this is kind of like my reading because O'Neill's not stupid. He is a principled guy. He is going to fight this completely quixotic battle mm-hmm. against an agent of Khan Amalgamated. Wait, Quixonic? Quixonic? <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> God damn it, Siri. <laughs> I'm just trying to help. Well, stop it. Um, Donkey Hote. <laughs> Ote. Yeah. So O'Neill's not stupid. He is going to fight and defeat Shepard. And that's what the audience wants. You know, we want that little bit of payback where the hero gets this victory. But Mm -hmm. he's not going to take down Khan Amalgamated by itself. And he knows that. So once he's punched out Shepard and laid him out flat in the titty bar, mm-hmm. he's going to get on the fucking shuttle and go to Earth to be with his wife and son. Right. And I... I, I Even, like, the confrontation between him and Shepard, because, you know, it, is, it isn't as cut and dried as, like, you're under arrest. Because you can see, like, he kind of goes up to him with, like, that notion. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is a cynical movie where, you know, he's, he's, he steps up to him and he's like, Shepard... Ah, fuck it. <laughs> he just lays him out. <laughs> An interesting thing, too, there's a moment where the um, not-too-bright sheriff from Stranger Things does a similar, uh, as a similar exchange where, like, he's trying to, like, fast-talk his way, you know, past, like, some kind of security. And he's like, well, um, what's actually... Uh... And then he realizes, like, his fast-talk isn't going anywhere. So yeah. just kind of like, ah, well, <laughs> he just knocks the guy out. Yeah. And, so... you know, and... In High Noon, there's a, I recall there's a scene where Gary Cooper just fucking punches a guy in the face. Right. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, we know, we can dance around this, but it's just like, you know, it's time for direct action. Yeah, and that is, that is kind of what puts Outland, like, a little bit above other kind of, like, you know, fun, fun cynical sci-fi romps, is that it's that realization that you can't fight city hall right um and that there's only there's only so far that one individual can go against this kind of like systematic rot 
Right. Well, he has he has disrupted enough of the system that you know Shepard is kind of in a bind too because, like, if if it comes out that um, you know, Shepard, who is working as the general man the general manager of this franchise, if he's been allowing drugs in there, he either has to take the fall or the people above him will, and they aren't going to do that. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, he's kind of like you know he's the he's the last, um, he's kind of the last mile of this corrupt system. So he's the one that pays for it. Mm-hmm. He's someone else's fall guy, despite being the head honcho of this mining operation. So yeah, you you kind of have to understand that there's you know a limit to what you know the individual can achieve. And you know O'Neill, for his part, you know does what he is supposed to. And it's sort of like if there are enough people who are acting in accordance with their responsibilities then the system works it's just it's there's enough sort of slacking off for lack of a better word um that allows these sort of things to happen it's you know it's a world where you know evil triumphs when good men do nothing yeah so that that i think is kind of the basic message of of outland and o'neill kind of realizes like what's the most important thing which is to uh you know is it sounds corny because it sounds like I'm talking about the Fast and the Furious movies. It's family. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, yeah, because it's yeah, like, because why, like, why the, do you fight for what? What are these things that are the reason you're fighting? Yeah, for? because yeah. like the, the the foundation of like a healthy society is like um, family and solidarity. Not necessarily like the traditional family, but you know, caring for the people around you. And yeah, you. He's 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 going to do that. Like his, you know, his wife made this difficult choice. Maybe she didn't handle it quite right because she didn't, it didn't seem like there was a hell of a lot of communication going on between the two of them. Maybe she was afraid he would punch her in the face, but right. he's well, going to go to not a bitch. Right. I mean, you know, he's not punching every woman in the face, just ones who, you know, sometimes you meet a woman, you're like, she needs to be punched in the face. <laughs> And and yeah, like there, there's not a lot to her character, but you know her interactions are, you know, and she does kind of, you know, remark on that, like how cowardly she feels for like running, mm-hmm. you know, which you know, fair fair point. She's like, you know, this isn't the way that I wanted, you know, to do things. But she's like, I know that, you know, I would have lost my resolve if I was, you know, facing you directly. I would have stood by you. But you know, mm-hmm. she's kind of like. You know, the die is cast. I've already left the shuttle. Here's a video message of me saying goodbye. Yeah, because she's kind of putting, like, she's she's putting her son, like, like first, basically. Yeah. Like, for yeah. her, it's more important that he he get to Earth. And, you know, like... Yeah, it's a again, well-realized it's, character. It makes sense. Yeah, like, and it's, it's sad, but you kind of realize, like, you know, I mean, looking at Io, you're like, yeah, that's a real shitty place to have a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was he gonna like go to the strip club between like, you know, getting his braces and He's gotta staying learn at home? Sometime. I mean, yeah, I the, guess. that's that's a sex education, Tim. You th- you saw what those dancers were doing. That's true. Yeah, but I, man, I didn't believe it. <laughs> so yeah, and, and at the end, there's you know the brief epilogue of you know his message to his wife saying that you know he's gonna make the shuttle because you know ultimately you know it is his family you know and the and a a uh, a law-abiding, you know, ordered world that he's fighting for. And so, you know, it is, you know, at the end of it, he says, you know, looking forward to sleeping with you for a year, which is a sweet message to end on. It shows that he's, 
you know, he's reconnecting with his wife. Yeah. So, so good for him. It's nice because it, it, um, it's like not the mega happy ending. Cause like, I feel like the mega happy ending would be like, oh, also like everybody on the executive, on the executive board of Con Amalgamated, uh, was, was indicted. Yeah. was blown up and with an asteroid. Yeah. And it's like, ah, you know, that's not, that's really not as much as we like it. That's not how the, the world works. So right. yeah. It, um, you can kind of only affect change on a local level. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, and it's kind of like in, you know, like in High Noon, like, you know, the, the, the gang is, the gang is stopped, like, you know, uh, Will Kane prevails, but I don't know where I'm going with this point. O'Neill prevails, but he, you know, he, I don't know, save me, Tim. I had a point and then it just got away from me. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, you can prevail within your local sphere, and it doesn't go as... Yeah, it, it doesn't go as... For a movie that's already this jaded, it doesn't try <laughs> to suppose that everything will be right in the world. It's just you can kind of only, you know, stand up for yourself, do, you know, the right things, stick to your guns, you know, literal or metaphorical, and, you know, try and, uh, you know, try and use those things to carve out some peace for yourself and the ones that you care about. Yeah. And um, I mean, you could be you could take uh, the view of the Soviet Union and be like, um, oh, you know, these uh, if I don't know how they felt about Outland and the Soviet Union, maybe they enjoyed it. Maybe they'd loosened up a little. But, you know, uh -huh. the one reading you could do would be like, oh, well, you know, it's all about like one guy like asserting himself and, mm -hmm. you know, prevailing. But it's like, no, it's, um, you know, as the inverse of that, it's it's about like the failure of solidarity and it's like why solidarity is so important like do you think That's... io is a union shop <laughs> oh god no yeah like and when those bonds break and when we don't support each other through difficult times it's like these are how in these are how injustices happen like you know will right. kane can't get together a posse because like people are too scared to have his back and in in o'neill's case on io like you know, all the cops know what side their bread is buttered on. They're not going to yep. rock the fucking boat. It's yeah, easier for, for to... just some like scum, you know, miner who gives a shit. Yeah, and for it's some pretty... junkie. And it's pretty much how like systems of policing tend to work because the thing is, people will say like, "Oh, well, you know, don't, you know, uh, uh, it's a few bad apples every time like you know another cop like kills another black kid or something." But it's like, okay, but you know, the whole saying is a few bad apples spoil yeah, no, a bunch. Yeah, no one ever finishes that phrase. But like, meanwhile, you know, you have yeah. you have fifteen year old girls getting, you know, shot in the head while trying on dresses for their quinceanera. Exactly. It's like the the entire system is built on injustice and, you know, the disposability of like human life. And it serves, you know, Khan Amalgamate or Wayland Utani or Whoever. Yeah, yeah, like they aren't suffering any of those losses. Yeah, like they're just you know the the people who are doing the work are just more grist for the mill. Yeah, so these these films are this is actually like a pretty nice double feature, I would say. Um, yeah, and I don't think I don't think Outland is currently streaming. I do know that you can watch High Noon uh, if you have a library card on Canopy, um, 
and I do recommend it. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, yeah, we're TCM now. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, if you use a public service like your local library, you have access to Canopy. This is yep. what your taxes go towards. Yeah, use it. And um, yeah. you can probably rent Outland on DVD from your local library. Or, you know, you could be like me and just rent it off. Uh, I think I think I rented it on the on the Roku. Where did you watch it, Tim? Uh, yeah, I also rented it. No, I saw it when it was free on streaming. Back, like, they had that and, like, the two Alien movies. Oh, sick. And then, yeah, just, I was fortunate, like, in this window where they had, you know some decent sci-fi on and that's what i did yeah and um this one um again peter hyams like i forgive you for 2010 that shit sucked but outland well, is good uh, wh- why did why did two t- 2010 even exist like you can't follow up 2001 <laughs> with anything like it stands alone well it's also partly arthur c Clarke's fault so right yeah yeah and he was also a pedophile. But um, anyway. Um, it's not illegal where he lives, Jen. <laughs> it's okay in Sri Lanka. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like. Uh, send O'Neill there. Have him deal with it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, check out Outland. It's, 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 it's worth a rental. It's a very, not only because of its, um, its cynicism, but a lot of very nice effects, very nice photography done by somebody who knew what he was doing and somebody he had on hand to blame in case he needed to. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And one other thing, too, that we didn't even touch on, speaking of, like, relevant social issues, I mean, you've, you have a number of miners dying, um, you know, for the for the purposes of capital. Uh, didn't, wasn't, like... Didn't a tornado rip through like an Amazon shipping warehouse? Yeah, and they yeah, were so, they were telling drivers like, no, like sh- shelter in place, like it's fine. Yeah, hide in hide in a bathroom and lose your life there, so that you know the line doesn't stop. Yeah, because you know, God knows, I need to get the CD I ordered on Sunday. Like I have to have it. I literally can't wait. Yeah, so it's it is it continues to be you know to, it continues to resonate. There's you know there are faceless workers losing their lives for someone else's bottom line, and it continues to happen. Like where's our you know O'Neill for uh, for you know OSHA yeah, and like and, you know these in Tornado Alley. Yeah, and um, you know if an O'Neill pops up in your place of work, you know um, be a Doctor Lazarus and help him out. Right. It's an old, uh, old crank doctor. Yes. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So, right. I I love this because it, it fits nicely in with the alien universe. Uh, a lot of similar themes. A lot of similar aesthetics. How is um, it like Traveler, Tim? It is like Traveler, <laughs> not just because. Uh, <laughs> no. See, it is the it is the future. <laughs> it is in outer space, but. He still has a shotgun. Slug throws are a viable weapon. Like, just because, you know, people might have, like, you know, laser guns or rail guns or whatever, like, you know, a, a shotgun okay, doesn't Tim, cease I'll, to I'll be catch lethal. You later. I'll, I'll, All right. I'll see you later. Just, just sh- shut off your mic so I can finish. So, <laughs> so there's that. Like, he is, you know, you do a tour for a certain amount of time. There's t- uh, transit time. 
between like the shuttle of you know the the station that is you know the administrative. If you uh, would like to roll up a traveler control, character yeah. with Tim, please hit us up info at haveyouseen.us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Should I just fade on you talking about traveler. I mean, you could. Uh, partly, well, partly the reason I wanted to talk about it is because, like, you know, I'm going looking for you know, inspiration for travel, but I can't just watch Alien and Blade Runner over and over again. Like, I got to find other stuff, and I really like, you know, the sort of lived-in, you know, gritty, realistic look yeah. that that Outland has. So you know what? Pull out that pan and scan VHS of Outland. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know you got it, and watch it. Right. Um, or. <laughs> You know, if if that doesn't work, you know, it, it, space westerns are you know an unloved subgenre, so you might have trouble finding finding something similar. But if you look hard, you might be able to find some something similar in the Mandalorian, uh, the Book of Boba Fett, uh, Han Solo. He's a space outlaw. There's a Mos Eisley Cantina. There's Pitch Black. There's Westworld. There's the movie Moon. There's Avatar, uh, which is just you know dances with wolves. Uh, there's the short story, The Cold Equations. That's about resilience in an uncaring universe. There's the original Star Trek series, uh, Wagon, you know, Wagon Train to Space. The final uh, there's frontier. Ca- there's Cowboy Bebop. There's The Expanse. But don't watch Oblivion, there's Oblivion one or two. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, and I think that that covers all modern sci-fi westerns. There aren't any that we left out deliberately. No, I think that's it. I think that is everything worth talking about. Yeah, that is what literally I... every space western. There are no yeah. other space westerns. Do not write in to info at haveyouseen.us and say, right. hey, didn't you forget? No. No. We didn't we forget We did not. It. Yeah. What I would <laughs> what I would be curious to see is, um, so we've had westerns adapted for space it's a nice new exciting environment oregon trail in space unforgiven in space fistful of dollars in space in space magnificent seven um ending the episode in space what else like yeah (laughs) you don't want to keep talking i got i got i have copious notes (laughs) why didn't even do your due diligence tim yeah, we didn't even talk about the golfomat. There are a lot of other th- the golfomat. Like part of the, I think the only um, thing that this uh, the only downside that I would say to this movie is that there isn't a lot of sci in the sci-fi um, because, like, you know, there's a there's that chase through the station that ends in a kitchen. Kitchen's a very dangerous environment. There's a lot of you know sharp things and industrial machinery um but the most high-tech thing that i think we see in this is shepherd's golf mat where it lets you play golf in your office oh yeah another use of um uh, a projection system yeah so maybe i think kind of what is interesting about sci-fi is like being exposed to like new worlds and new concepts and you know new um new ideas whereas this is you know it is about you know corruption and greed and you know and where does the law fit into this which you know those are evergreen themes you know about you know guns and drugs and 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 uh, money um so Lawyers you know those are you money yeah so those are universal themes but 
usually sci-fi is at its best when it's speaking allegorically about um you know modern concepts but taken to a uh you know a a heightened degree mm-hmm. um so maybe like this movie didn't have enough of that um because it is easy to transpose the narrative into you know just a straight western or even just like a straight modern story um, yeah we retract our recommendation of outland don't watch it right well i'm saying maybe it would have been you know more maybe it would have just it, it would have garnered more deserved acclaim um being well, yeah, more as it turns out this movie barely broke even i believe right like, which is unfortunate it, because i mean we spent an hour talking about you know what a uh you know resonant resonant story with you know textured characters that it is yeah and maybe it was um i feel like maybe it got overlooked a little bit because it it uh came out at the same time as some kind of other really important science fiction movies um so that was 1981 um and this arrived at the same time as, let's see, Escape from New York and... It's a very different sci-fi movie. Yeah. And, uh, oh, Road Warrior, Mad Max 2. Okay, yeah, that's a much different vision of the future. Not so much an outer space, but kind of a Western. Ooh, and look Scanners. Yep. Scanners came out the same year. I love Scanners. Yeah, Scanners much different kind of science fiction movie but yeah that one's great as well oh and um one that tim really enjoys heavy metal the uh anthology cartoon that is the one yeah wow we were spoiled for sci-fi what did i know (laughs) we didn't know how good we had it yeah for real so yeah i think you know there's a lot of uh relevant themes in outland which is worth checking out yeah so now on to traveler (laughs) 